Thank you, Justin. Um, welcome, everyone. Oh, it has wheels on it. Okay. Um, I'm really, really happy to be here with you guys today. Excited to share the word with you. Also, just kind of a little bit nervous. It's my first time preaching to you, but I'm really excited, and I've been really enjoying my time here with you guys. Had a great time at the men's retreat this past weekend, uh, so that was awesome. And I, I want to, um, before I start, I want to give a shout out to some people in the audience. You may have noticed today that there was a massive Haitian immigration. And so I, those are my friends and family and some of my youth from my previous churches who, who came out to support. And so I want to welcome you to City Life. And so, <laughs> all right. And so, and so without further ado, I would like to share a poem with you to set the tone for what I'm going to preach on today. I don't think I can do this. No way I can get through this. I don't know what you're thinking, but my feet are sinking. And I'm on the brink of needing a shrink and of drowning in this ocean of chaos you set in motion. Please don't doubt my devotion. Don't dwell on that notion. But I'm drowning in emotion and my heart's pounding a commotion. I want to be like you and do what you tell me to. I know you're my father, but you're the one who walks on water. So just let me go down. You can take back your crown. I'm sure it'll match your frown because I'd rather just drown. But even when I doubt, God, you're faithful. Even when I fail, God, you're faithful. Even when I can't see where you're about to take me, got me at your gunpoint, taking off the safety, waves crash, earth rumble out of my safe zone into the jungle. You paint watercolor Michelangelo, play hopscotch with archipelagos, but I can barely walk on land, so I don't understand why you got me in the fire like a Abednego. All I do is lose and I just keep slipping, but you just keep winning, help me just keep swimming. So I trust you, even when I don't see how, because you've never failed before so you won't fail now. That poem was inspired by the song Oceans because I wanted to express what it's like, what it feels like to trust God in the middle of a storm. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to speak to your people. And I pray this morning that you would speak through me and that it would be your words and not my own. And that at the end of this, we would all see more of you and be able to trust you more. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So we have been going through the book of Mark. And at this point, we are now in Mark chapter four. And just like the poem indicated, we're going to be talking about storms. And this particular passage is found in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And it's a story where Jesus calms a storm. So a storm comes in and it's racking everything and Jesus water bends it away. And so we're going to learn some things about storms and about Jesus. And so starting off in verse 35, it says, and on that day when evening... On that day, evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. 
and other boats were with him. So like I said, a storm is coming, and Jesus is going to calm it. But in this first verse, we learn that Jesus is the one who tells the disciples to get in the boat. Jesus knows the storm is coming. We know the storm is coming. But the disciples don't know the storm is coming. And yet Jesus doesn't tell them that the storm is coming. He doesn't say, like, hey, guys, let's get in the boat. Uh, by the way, on the way there, there's going to be a storm. We're almost going to die, but it's going to be okay. He doesn't say that. He just says, let's get in the boat. And like, it seems like everything's okay. Like They have no idea. And this shows me that there are different kinds of storms in life. Like The Bible says we will have trouble in this life. Like Storms are going to come regardless. But not every storm is the same. Some storms come because of our choices. Like we make a bad financial decision, you go bankrupt, get into a relationship God told you not to go in, it's toxic, storm. Like some storms are consequences because of our choices. Then there are storms that happen just because we live in a fallen world. Like you can do everything right, do everything God asks you, you raise your children right, and then tragedy strikes. Has nothing to do with your sin We just live in a fallen world, and sometimes storms come. But then there are storms that have nothing to do with your sin and have nothing to do with the world's sin. Sometimes we get into a storm because Jesus brings us into the storm. But why would Jesus bring you straight into a storm? We'll find out. So the next verse, it says, And a great windstorm arose, And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And so, surprise, surprise, the storm comes. Jesus is in the boat. The storm is is happening. And the Bible says it's not just a regular storm. It's a great storm. So this isn't like a little shower, a gentle mist. This is like Poseidon level, like you will die quickly level storm. And the storm is happening, but Jesus is asleep in the boat. And I've heard a lot of preachers like have so much fun with this like one half of the verse because there's so many layers here. Like Jesus is asleep. He's got a pillow. Like he apparently like thought this through, like he packed something and like he's sleeping there. And I've heard a lot of preachers preach this and I've preached this to my youth before where like this is a perfect picture of Jesus's faith. Like Jesus is asleep in the middle of the storm and therefore we as well can have peace in the storm. Amen. And there's truth to that. And like that'll preach, like that's a word. But I think, I don't think that's what Mark is trying to show us in this passage. I don't think that Jesus sleeping in the storm has anything to do with his faith. And to show that, I want to share a story with you. Those of you who don't know, I, I'm going to try not to get too close here. I work at Nye College, and I'm the creative arts coordinator there. I'm also the campus chaplain there. And my wife, works at Nye College, and she's the resident director where she's in charge of one of the dorms. And so we live in an apartment that's connected to the women's dorm. And it's the summertime now, and there are no students on campus, but there are conferences that come in every now and then and, like, rent out the campus, and, like, they'll stay in the dorm that we're at. And so last month, we had a regular day. You know, everything's going normal. My wife and I went to bed, and things looked regular until... At 4 a.m. in the morning, the fire alarm went off at 4 in the morning. And so I woke up, and my first thought was, I really hope that this is a test. Like, they're just testing it, and it'll go away, and we can go back to sleep. 
So I waited, and it didn't go away. And so now I roll over, like, babe, we got to get out. Like, there's a fire alarm. Like, I don't know what's going on. So we got out, and we herded the people out of the building. Fire trucks came. Police officers came. And long story short, we found out that somebody had pulled the fire alarm. Now, the point of the story is this. When I went to bed that night before the fire alarm, I had no fear that the building was going to go on fire. Like, there was no thought in my mind that, like, I didn't go there praying, like, God, please protect us from spontaneous fires. Like, just, that, like, my faith level was at 100%. Like, there was no doubt in my mind that we were safe. And yet, when the fire alarm went off, I woke up because it had nothing to do with my faith. Like, it was just loud, and so I woke up. And so when I see Jesus sleeping on the boat in the storm, I think it has less to do with his faith and more to do with his fatigue. My man is tired. Like he has preached a year's worth of sermon series in a day. Like he's been doing parables. He's been doing miracles. He's been casting out demons. Like he, we've been, chapter one through four, we haven't seen Jesus sleep yet. Like he's tired. Like he's doing stuff left and right. And so finally he's like, listen, I'm on this boat. I am tired. I need to rest. And that, that speaks to me on many levels, because if Jesus himself, first of all, I think Mark is showing that because Jesus, he's reminding us Jesus is not only fully God, he's fully human. And just like us, he gets tired. He knows what it's like to feel burnt out. He knows what it's like to be ministering so much that eventually, like, yo, I just want to be alone. Like, don't talk to me. Like, I just need, I just need to take a nap. Like, he knows what that's like. But furthermore, if Jesus needs to rest, how much more should we be resting? Like I've heard some, I've heard people say, like, you know, I'll rest when I'm dead. Jesus rested before he was dead. And then he died. And like, so like Jesus, if Jesus has to rest, then we should rest as well. Because he got tired, we get tired, we should rest. But on top of that, Jesus is tired and then the storm comes. And isn't that often how life works? that when you're tired, the storms come. It's not when you're on the top of your game, like you're ready for anything life will throw. It's not in the summertime when you don't have finals to worry about. It's not when you just got voted employee of the month, when the, all the kids are on honor roll. Like it's not when you and your spouse haven't missed date night like all year. Like it's when, it's when stuff is like, when you're tired, when you're in the middle of finals, and you're about to fail a class, like when you are months behind on car payments, when the kids just got expelled, your husband's getting on your nerves, your wife is nagging you, when you're tired, the storms come. And this is what's happened here. Jesus is tired, the disciples are tired, and the storm hits. And so they react, and the next verse says, and they woke him up and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. So they wake him up and Jesus comes out and he tells the sea, like, all right, peace, be still. And the literal translation of be still in this passage is be quiet. And when I read that, I thought, like, imagine, like, that sounded weird to me because imagine, like, if you're a disciple and you're, like, on the boat, waves are crashing, like, water's coming and you're trying to, like, pour it out, and then you go and ask Jesus, like, come on, you know, I got to do something, like water bend something, like make something happen, and Jesus comes out, and he stands on the boat, and he's like, be quiet. And my first thought is like, who are you talking to? <laughs> like, what, like, my man is out here just talking to water, like nobody thinks that's weird, like he's just, I would be like, Peter, like shut up, like he's talking to you, like what are you doing? Like he's just talking to water, and 
at first I thought that was weird, but then I realized that people in the Bible looked at water differently than the way that we do. Like in America, in the West, like we see the sea as something good. Like you go to the beach, it's the summertime, you get your lawn chairs, got your umbrellas and then the drinks, like you have a good time. Like we would go to the beach on vacation, like it's nice. But in the Bible, that wasn't a thing. Like they didn't see the sea as something good. In the Bible, the sea was usually associated with evil. And so you have verses like in Micah where God says, I will cast your sins into the depths of the sea. And then like when Jesus casts out legion, casts the demons into the pigs, they jump off the cliff and go into the sea. And so in the, whenever the enemies would come, they would cross the sea and invade their land. In Revelation, when he's talking about the dragon, like the beast that represents Satan, he comes from the sea. And it's why at the end of Revelation, John says in heaven, there will be no sea. Not because God hates swimming, but because the sea in the Bible is associated with evil. And so in heaven, there will be no evil. Because in the Bible, the sea was linked to the demonic. And so when Jesus is in this storm, he realized, he knows this is not just a storm. This is a spirit. And this spirit is saying something. And so Jesus tells it to stop talking. And sometimes when storms happen, we have to speak to what's going on. That there are powers in our words. Because every storm comes with a lie. And so if this storm is speaking and Jesus tells it to stop speaking, what is the storm saying? Because it seems almost like, like Jesus raises his voice and tells the storm to shut up. Like it seems like whatever the storm is saying seems more dangerous than what the storm is doing. So what exactly has the storm been saying? So Jesus tells the storm to stop talking. And afterwards, the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. When the storm comes, it's a great storm. When Jesus comes, there's a great calm. The bigger the storm, the bigger the calm that will come afterwards. The harder the struggle, the sweeter the victory. I'm an optimist, so I like seeing like the glass half full kind of thing. But I know a lot of people who aren't as optimists. And I hear things like so many bad, so many good things have been happening in my life eventually something bad's going to happen. And like, you know, if that's your cup of tea, like, that's, that's, that's you. But I feel like this verse shows that the opposite is just as easily true. That sometimes when so many bad things happen, eventually something good has to happen. That if Jesus is in your boat, no matter how bad the storm gets, eventually there will be a great calm. So if you're in a storm right now, no matter how hard it looks, how dark it seems, eventually there will be healing. Eventually there'll be restoration. Eventually there'll be breakthrough because when Jesus comes, he promised us that there'll be storms, but he also promised that he'll be with us in the storm and he promised to bring calm after the storm. And so he calms the storm, the winds die down, and then he turns to the disciples and he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And at first, this seems like Jesus is upset at the disciples. Like, yo, what is wrong with you? Like, are you stupid? Like, but I think that there are, I don't think that Jesus is actually upset at the disciples. And there are two reasons for that. Number one, this storm we've seen was a big storm. Like, it wasn't a, like a little baby storm. Like, Jesus had to raise his voice and tell this storm to stop talking. And he apparently broke some kind of sweat 
calming the storm down. Like, this was a big storm. So for him to, like, roast the disciples, like, yo, it's not that big a deal. Like, what is wrong with you? For me, it would seem a little, like, reckless. And to illustrate that, like, how many of you have kids? Wonderful. So it's summertime, the school is out, but imagine if September comes around and you bring your kids to school, right? And it's the first day of first grade or whatever, and you bring them in and they're happy like to be back at school. And you go into the principal's office to catch up and like, hey, what's going on? You do anything interesting in the summer, go to the beach, what have you. And mid-conversation, a teacher runs in and tells the principal, Principal Johnson, there's an active shooter on campus. And imagine the principal responds, listen, like, why are you freaking out? Like, everything's going to be fine. It's okay. Matter of fact, I'm going to go take a nap. Like, what would you say to this principal? Sir, you're going to jail. Like, like that's, not, that's not faith. Like, that's, that's recklessness. And I don't think that's what Jesus is conveying to the disciples here. Like, he doesn't belittle their storm. Like, Jesus doesn't belittle our, our storms that we go through. He was human, too. He knows what it's like to go through pain. So he's not the guy there like, oh, so you had a storm, but did you die, though? Like, relax. Like, so he broke up with you? Like, that's not a bit like there are other fish in the sea. Like, he's not belittling our storms. He knows what it's like to experience loss. He knows what it's like to, to, to feel suffering, to be in pain, and he grieves with us. He doesn't belittle our storms. So I don't, secondly, though, the reason I think he's not upset is because when Jesus is upset in the Bible, he makes it very clear. Like in a few chapters, he tells the disciples, listen, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. And they're like, ah, dang, it's because we didn't bring bread. And Jesus is like, are you serious? You know who I am? Like, do I look like I need bread? I'm the bread of life. And he starts roasting them for five verses. Like when Jesus is upset, he makes it very, like he's like flipping tables, whipping people kind of upset. But here, he's like, why are you so afraid? Why do you have so... Do you have no faith? That's it. So it seems like Jesus isn't actually upset. He seems genuinely confused. He's like, I have questions. Hey, what is, I don't understand. So what is he confused about? I think the answer is in verse 38 when the disciples wake him up. It's what they say to him when they wake him up. Because when they wake him up, they say, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Like, they didn't say, hey, there's a storm, like, we need help. It's like, why don't you care about us? And so go, to go back to the parents, like, who had kids, I don't have kids yet, but I remember what it was like to be a kid. And so when I was saying, my parents can attest to this, when I was, like, six or seven, I was afraid of the dark. And so one of the things I would do is I would run up in the middle of the night into their room and be like, daddy, daddy, like, there's a monster in the closet. And so, like, dad would come and, like, you know, deal with the monster. Any of you had that with your kids and you had to deal with that? You guys just have bold kids, like no monsters? All right, anyway, so I, I, I was a scaredy cat and had to do that. But so imagine, though, tonight you tuck your child into bed and, like, everything's cool. But then the middle of the night, your child runs into the room and says, Daddy, Daddy, why don't you care about me? It's like, whoa, wait, what the? Like, you went to bed, everything was fine, and you wake up, and now you're questioning my parenting. Like, how did that, what happened in between there? And so I think that's where Jesus is at. He's like, wait, hold on. You mean to tell me there was a storm? And now all of a sudden, I don't care about you? Like, you, you, you lost your job, and all of a sudden, I don't care about you? Like, you lost a loved one, and all of a sudden, I don't care? Like, that was a big jump. Like, I don't think Jesus gets upset when we're afraid. He's okay. With, he's, not, he's, a, he's a grown dude. Like, he's okay, he's okay with, like, our, our fears and our feelings. It's okay to, like, be in a position, like, I don't think I have money 
to reach the next in a month or like this person is sick, I'm not sure that they're going to get, get through it. Like that, that's one thing, but to take the next step and be like, God, you don't care about me. Like that's a whole different jump. And I think that's when Jesus feels some type of way and he's like, how did you go from there to here? He doesn't get offended by our fear. It's a, he's offended when our fear causes us to forget that he cares. And so the question is, the disciples have been of Jesus for four chapters. Like, they've been with him. They've watched him do things. Where did they hear? Who told them that Jesus doesn't care? It was a storm. The storm is out here beating them left and right, and it's telling them, listen, I'm out here smacking you, and Jesus is down there taking a nap. He doesn't care about you. And so they heard this, and they believed it. And they come in like, Jesus, why don't you care about us? And so my question to you is, what is the storm saying to you about Jesus? What is something in your life that you think God doesn't care about? Or put it another way, what is something that you find the most difficult to trust God with? For me, I grew up in church, and there were two main things that people usually brought up when it came to trusting God. Like, whenever there were testimonies, they usually revolved around one of two things. It was financial provision and physical health. And I had the great fortune of growing up in a context where I learned very quickly to be able to trust God with provision and with health. Because we didn't grow up wealthy. Like, we were very much, like, far from wealthy. But I would see God provide for my parents, like, time and time again. And so I learned as a child, like, oh, like, we don't have money? Like, God's got it. God's going to come in the clutch. Like, it's good. And then with health, like, we didn't have insurance for, like, most of my life. Like, I didn't have insurance. And it was like, we got sick. It was like, you prayed and drank some tea. Like, that was it. And you were, you got some real mosquitoes. Like, you know, Latinos, like, you had some Vicks. Like, it was just like, that was it. Like, we were good. And so, like, we would trust God for healing in that. Like, I'm not necessarily recommending, like, that path, but like that's what it was. And so in that context, I learned like when it came to provision and health, like God's got us, like we're good. But the one thing I found it difficult to trust God with was my pleasure. Because I was taught, not explicitly, but like subtly, that God is good, but he's not fun. And so the closer you get to God, like you'll get godly, but like you won't really enjoy life. Because like, God doesn't really care about fun. Like, fun is sinful. Like, you have too much fun, like, you need to relax. And so the idea was, like, God is good, but he's not fun. Like, and then we're laughing, but, like, most of us, like, you know, you're laughing, but inside you're crying. Because, like, yeah, like, like that's, that's me. And, and so, like, that was what, like, I was taught. And so what would happen is there would be moments in my life where I'd be doing everything right. I'd be doing what God asked me to do. And I'd be doing everything right, but on the inside I felt so wrong. Or I, I would, on the outside, it looked like everything was fine, but inside, I would feel depressed. And so I'd go to God, I'd seek him, I'd spend time with him, I'd pray, and I would leave his presence still feeling empty. And I would get confused, and I'd be like, God, I don't understand. Like, your word says, in your presence, there's fullness of joy, eternal pleasures at your right hand. But I'm in your presence, and I don't feel joy. I'm in your presence, and I don't feel pleasure. And so in those moments, I would hear two things. One, God doesn't care about your pleasure. And two, I would hear lust saying, but I do. And so in those moments, I would feel like 
when I'm with God, I feel empty. At least if I go to porn, I'll feel something. And so I would fall into sin. And these, this would be when like, I would be struggling and I would fall into this. And even now, like, I'll, I'll admit, like, there are times where I struggle and I fall back into that sin. I'm not watching porn on a regular basis. But in those moments when like, I'll feel this tension with God, I'll feel like, God, the harder I work with you, I get like, less and less joy. At least like, I'll get something. I feel like I have to go somewhere else to find this, like, to feel better. And it's, sometimes it's not even sexual. It's just a general like, feeling that God doesn't care about pleasure. And like, the closer you get, it's like the emptier you feel. And, and, and sometimes, you know, some people maybe might really able to relate to that. But it's not even, like I said, it's not even just sexual. It's just like pleasure in general. And I've even heard some ladies like say things like, you know, I feel like I have to marry somebody ugly. And it's like, he could, he could look like a horse, but at least he's godly. And it's like, where do we learn that? Like, who told you that? Like, God doesn't want you, like, God wants you to be miserable. Like, there's this idea that it's holier to be with someone that you're not attracted to because, like, somehow that's, that's, like, where did we learn that? Like, it's the same thing, though. Like, God is good, but he's not fun. Like, not saying you should be vain and only marry somebody that, that you think is hot. But, like, we take it to the extreme and, like, whoa. Like, God is, God just doesn't like fun or anything. And so maybe your thing isn't pleasure. Like, you have no problem trusting God with pleasure. But maybe it could be finances. Like, you don't trust God with money, so you stop tithing. Because if I give more money, I have less money, and it doesn't seem like God cares about my financial future. Or maybe it is your future that you find hard to trust God with. So you overplan. Like, I have to, by 30, I'm going to have a house, I'm going to have kids, I'm going to have a dog, I'm going to have a white picket fence. And like, God's will, what? Like, no, I'm going to make this happen. Like, because God, I can't trust you with my future because you're going to have me like, you know, on a mission trip serving somewhere in some country I don't want to be in. Like, and like, we just don't trust him with our future. Or maybe it's your kids. Like, so you, you feel like you can't trust God with your kids, so you overprotect them because God won't protect my kids. And if you know, and the way you know that you don't trust God with your kids is if you have a plan for your kids and then like one day your kids come and say, hey, I think God's calling me to do this. And you're like, no, that's not God. And it's like, wait, that's, that's not faith. That's fear. But maybe that's me, like, you know, because I don't have kids yet, but I'm just going to leave that there. So... <laughs> Anyway, but the point is that we all have something that we find difficult to trust God with. We all have a lie about God that we believe. And that belief leads to a behavior. And what's interesting is that that lie doesn't get invented by the storm. The storm simply reveals it. If you believe in the back of your mind that God doesn't care, that really won't come to the surface when everything's fine. But God forbid you lose your job, all of a sudden, oh, see, I told you, I knew God doesn't care about me. That lie was there from the beginning. The storm just cranked up the volume. And so that brings us back to why does Jesus bring us into storms? Sometimes he brings us into a storm to bring the storm out of us. Because that's when this real stuff comes to the surface and he can deal with it. And he can show us, you don't trust the passage. They didn't get it. Because the passage ends with them saying, like, they're, they're afraid of Jesus now. And who is this guy? The wind and the waves obey him. They didn't get it. But we have the chance to get the lesson. Like sometimes we do the same thing and we go into the storm and we leave there without having learned any lesson. And it's just like, oh, bad things keep happening to me and that's it. And not realizing that there was something God wanted to 
bring up. And I want to give us a chance to not be like the disciples today. And so I'm going to close, and I want to ask the worship team to come up. And I want to give you a chance to make this real. Like Pastor Justin said, we have a response corner here. Like if you want to respond with communion or you want to come to the front and, and pray, you can do that. But I want to give you a chance to make this real for you. And I'm not going to make it awkward by having you come up and like, you know, confess your darkest sins. I want you to take out your phone and go into your notebook app or wherever like you can put like notes or if you have a notepad, wherever to write with. And I want you to write down something specific that you find difficult to trust God with. It could be your family, your finances, your future, anything else that starts with an F. But like any, anything that you find difficult to trust God with. And I want you to write it down. Whatever that thing is, the storm is going to try to convince you that God doesn't care about it. And I want to encourage you this morning that whatever that thing is, not only does God care, but he cares more than you do. And so when the storm tells you you can't trust, God doesn't care about your finances, God doesn't care about your family, you can respond back, God cares more than I do. So I'll trust him, even when I don't see how, because he's never failed before. So he won't start now. Let's pray. Jesus, you are trustworthy. You promised us that there will be storms in life, but you also promised us that you would be with us in the storms and you would bring the calm after the storm. So we trust you with our family. We trust you with our finances. We trust you with our future. We trust you with our our pleasure. We trust you because you are trustworthy. 